Well, today we're taking a look at the role of the Bible in our lives. It's uh, something we cannot do without. Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord Jesus, you are the God of all revelation. You have given us the Bible to reveal yourself to us. And as we open it today, we ask that you would show us in its words what you would have us understand. Illuminate it. Teach us by its precepts and help us to embrace it and to live by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we have the Apostle Paul who's really giving final words of exhortation to Timothy, who many believe is in his first pastorate. And um, so it's a very practical conversation. And in this latter part, he starts off by, by saying, you know, I, I hope you've seen certain things in me. Uh, he talks about his own life and the kind of example that he hopes that Timothy sees. And then he moves into talking about Timothy's own training and how he was raised in the scriptures. Let's look at that, starting at verse 14. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, today we're, we're focusing on these last two verses here. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God-breathed. This is the only place in the whole Bible that this very specific phrase shows up. Theopanustos, for those who want to know. God breathed. It's all one word. But uh, there are other times in the scriptures where we read about God breathing, aren't there? Like, for example, in creation. If we go back to Genesis 2, God breathed the breath of life into Adam. In John chapter 20, on the evening of his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples, and it says that, that he breathed on them. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So there are other instances where God breathes. And of course, we know at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit came in, in a mighty rushing wind. There's a word there that also means breath, the breath of God moving through these people. And so God breathed means that the Spirit of life, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God came directly from the mouth of God. Uh, you know, the Bible is not a collection of wise sayings by some great philosopher. It's God's own words to us. One of my professors at college used to say all the time, it's God's words about the Word, who is Jesus. And that's why we call it God's Word, because it is God's message to you and me. In the past couple of days, I've, I've, or the past couple of years, rather, I've grown pretty concerned about the way the scriptures are used or sometimes not used. It seems to me that, 
more and more we have been adopting the world's perspective on many things. Uh, things such as our view of sex and sexuality, the world's perspective on peace and violence, the prevailing culture's perspective on what is right and what is wrong and what it means to live as a human being. And we're adopting political perspectives about how to treat other people, and things that don't really fit in or even contradict teachings in the Bible. What we don't seem to be doing is adopting more of God's perspective on how to understand the things that we hear, the actions that we take, and the decisions that we make. And God's perspective on how to treat others. You know, as the people of God, we're not called to live the way the world does. As the people of God, we are called to live by the word of God. You know, even in our, our church history and our church doctrine, we say the Holy Spirit continues to work in the church today in teaching us how to understand, interpret, and apply the scriptures through faith and diligent study. As believers open the scriptures, the Holy Spirit helps them to discern God's truth and will from the word. As the church gathers around the word, the Holy Spirit leads God's people into all truth. Now, that's right out of our Manual of Doctrine and Government. I encourage you to read that, actually. It's a lengthy statement, and it talks a whole lot more about the role of Scripture and the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. You know, we need to read the Bible. We need to study the Bible. And we need to do that so that God can speak to us through his Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's the primary way that God speaks to us today. And so ignoring God's word is in actuality ignoring God. We have no other way to understand God. We have no other way to learn about Jesus and his teachings. When the Bible ceases to be the guide for all faith and practice in our lives, all kinds of strange and bizarre things creep in. Uh, do you know who Michael Gunger is? He, he led for a long time the Christian music group Gunger, and uh, they were quite famous. Uh, yesterday, I, I read a number of tweets on Twitter of different people and different perspectives. And yesterday, this is what he tweeted. He says, Jesus was Christ. Buddha was Christ. Muhammad was Christ. Christ is a word for the universe seeing itself. You are Christ. We are the body of Christ. Well, that's a real mix of stuff, isn't it? Um, Michael used to be a very solid believer. He was a great Christian songwriter, and, and Gunger was nominated for multiple Grammy Awards. And, um, you know, he influenced an awful lot of people for Jesus. He and his wife were church planters. And, and then there was a turn in his life. And how did that start? Well, according to his own words, it started when he began to doubt certain teachings in the Scripture just, just a few in the beginning. And then over time, it became more and more until he rejected God's word, and he became an atheist. Uh, he even calls himself Vishnu Das today. Well, when we start to pick at the word of God, when we start to decide what we're going to believe and what we're not going to believe, what we're going to follow and what we're not going to follow. When you start doing that, chipping away at the Bible like that, you really end up throwing most of it away. It becomes easy to do that. 
once you start to do that. Billy Graham said, God gave us the Bible, his word, so that we may hear from him, so that we can be challenged, so that we can be encouraged, and so that we can be changed. When you remove the Bible, you're not hearing God. You're not hearing what God wants to say to your life, and you are not being transformed by his word and through his word. Timothy, Second uh, Timothy 3, 16 and 17, they say, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. God-breathed, we said, comes from God. God chooses to relay his words to humanity. But the teachings come from God himself. Yes, he used human writers, and he spoke through human writers, but he directed them so that we don't lose any of what he has to say to us. So which of God's teachings do we get to ignore? Which ones? You know, if we start to pick and choose, which ones? Paul says to Timothy that the Bible or the Scripture this, he starts by talking about the Bible in his own life. You know, you've known the scriptures since you were little. You know, your mother taught you the scriptures. And he grew up knowing them. And he says, you know, they're really, this is the last things he's saying to Timothy as he goes on this pastor. He says, you know, the scripture is very useful for many, many things. Particularly, he outlines four things. He says, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Well, a lot of the Old Testament record is God's interaction with his chosen people, right? Sometimes we don't think about you know, how we receive the different parts of the Bible. In the New Testament, it's easier for us because it seems to be more directed at us. It's, it's what we call a didactic passage. It's often uh, teaching, you know, Paul and other apostles are teaching, or Jesus is teaching in, in the narrative sections. But in the Old Testament, we don't often think about how we receive God's word. Some of it is direct teaching. And some of, us, some of it tells us about what God did or what Israel did in certain situations. And some of what Israel did is told to us, guess what, it's a negative example. Some of what they did is told to us in a negative way so that we understand that, hey, it, it, we're not supposed to do that. And some of it is told in a very positive way, obviously. Here are the things that I want you to do. This is what my people should do. Uh, some of those negative examples, you know, you think of somebody like Saul when he disobeyed God or when Israel disobeyed God. Um, there are lots of other examples. I'm often asked something like, you know, how come God never says anything about all these guys who get multiple wives? And I said, well, if you look at the example in Scripture, let's look at Solomon's life. How did that work out for him? <laughs> Didn't work out so well in the end, did it? So there are those negative examples. Most of what we read in the Old Testament is given to Israel and not directly to us. But it is written for us to learn about God and so how we can follow him closely. You know, we can't ignore the Old Testament because there are some uncomfortable things in there. And I know lots of people to do. But there is always something to learn. And God still speaks through that part of the Bible. 
You know, ultimately, the whole Old Testament points the way to Jesus, the need for Jesus. And the closer you get to the New Testament, the more you begin to realize that that's the agenda of the Old Testament. Now, we right now, we live in the New Testament era, so that means that we have Jesus. And God has started a new covenant with his people through Jesus. Jesus fulfills the laws and the commandments of the Old Testament, and he fulfilled them ultimately on the cross. And Jesus embodies them and takes us down the path that we're supposed to follow. You know, God set a path for Israel. And Israel departed from the path when they rejected the Messiah. That doesn't mean that God's finished with Israel. Uh, Prophecies talk about what's going to happen in the future, that there will be some kind of a mass turning at some point. But right now, where we stand, we stand as part of Israel. We are grafted in, it says. And so we're living and following the path that God intended for Israel from the beginning, for his own people. You know, whether it's through Jesus' teaching or the teaching of the Apostle Paul or the other apostles, um, we learn how to live for God. We learn who God is. We learn about sin. We learn about why we need Jesus for salvation. You know, practically everything we need for life is, is contained within the Bible's teaching. God does reveal himself in nature. We call that general revelation. You know how you, you go to a beautiful place, you might go to the Grand Canyon and stand there and look out and you go, oh wow, there has to be a God. You know, there's that sense. And then we also have conscience, you know, and conscience is, is placed in us. It's part of God's general revelation so that we understand something of what is right and something of what is wrong. But none of these things can leave us lead us to salvation through Jesus. Without the scriptures, we would understand nothing, almost nothing about God and about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit, about salvation, about eternity. Jesus, we know, is a historically verifiable person. You can go to other sources and find them writing, you know, Josephus in the first century, as you go on, Tacitus and others who, who write a historical record of this person, Jesus, who existed. But the Bible tells us so much more about him and gives us all the detail about his life. And so if we're missing the Bible, we're missing Jesus. Teaching and learning about God starts with the Scripture. You know, the more you learn, the more you learn to live by it. Uh, I don't know if you have read this. This is available online for anybody to read. It comes out every year. It's called The State of the Bible. It's put out by the American Bible Society. George Barna helped with this about 11 years ago when they first started it. And uh, it, it's, uh, this new report came out in the spring, and I read it from cover to cover this year. And I always find it fascinating, the, the things that they talk to people, they talk to thousands of people, and, and the things that they talk to them about and what the responses are. Well, in, in this 2021 report, one of the things it showed was that people who handle the Bible more often are more Bible-centered and tend to live their lives according to its teaching. You hear that? The more you handle the scripture, the more you're in the scripture, 
the more your life becomes more Bible-centered and you begin to live by it, you live according to its teaching. Uh, one of the things, again, I've been concerned about in recent years is the adoption of, of what I call I don't careism. You know, we look at the scripture and the Bible says this about a certain topic or thing. And we essentially say, I don't care. And we go and we live the way we want to live anyway. And we usually do it on one or two things, you know, some area in which we disagree, some area in which, you know, we ourselves have had some problem with sin or somebody in our family has had a problem with sin or somebody who's our neighbor has had a problem with sin. And we, try to, we kind of exempt that person. And in order to do that, we have to ignore certain things that are written in Scripture. But if we're following Scripture, if we're embracing Scripture, then we need to understand that God has certain standards and certain rules and certain ways that he calls us to live, and he expects us to live those ways if we're going to be followers of Jesus. We can't say, I know it says this, but I don't care. I'm going to do that. When the Bible's teaching is inconvenient, sometimes we just go ahead and live uh, and believe as if certain things are not written there. And you know, that's a very, very dangerous place to be in your relationship with God. Ignoring the teachings of God because they're uncomfortable or because you don't like uh, what's said or because you really like the world's way better. That puts you in a very dangerous place in your relationship with God. Well, the Apostle Paul also said the Bible is good for rebuking. Uh, there's a wonderful old Bible word, wonderful old Christian word, rebuking. Some people seem to think they have the gift of rebuke. Now, the, if you go and look it up in a, in a dictionary, it, it'll tell you that rebuke means something like to criticize sharply. And some people think they're gifted in that area. They're not. It's not a spiritual gift. But that's not what this word means here. Here it means to bring someone back to the truth, to persuade them of the error of their ways, and to return them to the truth. Using what? Using the scripture, using the Bible. You know, the Bible tends to strip away what's on the surface and show us what's underneath. Um, I don't know if are any of you watching the Hulu documentary on Paul McCartney right now, uh, McCartney 321. If you're not, I really highly recommend it, especially if you're a musician, if you're interested in writing songs and recording and how that all works. Um, it, it's been really a lesson on songwriting and recording. And it's mostly Paul McCartney sitting in the studio with producer Rick Rubin. And, and Rubin has a lot of the original master tapes of the Beatles. And so they're sitting in the studio in front of the soundboard and they roll the tape and they start taking certain things in and out of the mix so that they can hear what's going on underneath. And, and they can strip down the songs to see the various parts. And sometimes, you know, they'll isolate a voice or a guitar and just listen to that part. And, and sometimes it's very, very good. But other times they've isolated a piece and 
it's not very good. <laughs> you don't notice it when it's buried in the mix. But by itself, you can see that it's wrong, and it really doesn't fit. Well, you know, the scripture strips away the surface, and it shows us what's underneath. If there's a sin, if there's an error of understanding, reading the scripture reveals it. You know, um, because of this series, I've been listening to Beatles music again this week, and many of the Beatles albums have been remastered, and I own a number of those. Remastering means that they go back and they make a new, clean copy for the, from the original. And in some places, they, they've tweaked sound a little bit to try to get rid of some of those errors, to try to, to bring out some of the really positive things that really weren't necessarily heard in the recording part. You know, in our case, when we go to Jesus, we are remastered by the Master. Brand new, clean. What's seen and heard is what's supposed to be seen and heard. You know, the word sin, it, it means to miss the mark. And so this word correcting is related to the rebuking word about returning us to truth. But the correcting part is even more so. It's even more emphasis on returning to the path. You know, um, there's a, an older series now. It, it was with uh, Sean Connery's son, on, uh, and, and it often ran on PBS. It was about Robin Hood. And there's a, a famous part of the Robin Hood story called The Shooting Match. It's where there's a competition, and the best archers go. And, of course, Robin Hood disguises himself and goes. And, and near the beginning of this, the first scene, as you come into that, there's an archer who gets up and he fires an arrow and he misses the target entirely. And the person standing by yells, Sin! <laughs> Sin means to miss the mark. It means to get off the path. Your conscience might tell you something about right and wrong, but you need more detail than that. You need more than just a, a general or fuzzy feeling that this isn't right or that something else is right. You know, it's not enough to know what we're doing wrong. We need to learn how to do it right. We need Jesus. We need help to get back on track, or help to hit the target. You know, I remember getting my first rifle when I was a teenager, and, and when I first started, I wasn't very good with it. But with lots and lots of use, and over time, lots of practice, I got much, much better, and I became a pretty good shot. Well, then, as I've aged, as I've gotten older, and because of some blindness in my right eye, I no longer was able to hit the target very well. You know, and I was complaining about this to my brother. We were out on the rifle range one time, and, and uh, he says, well, let's do a couple of tests here. He says, well, you're using the wrong eye. He said, your right eye is no longer, because of the blindness, is no longer the dominant eye. The left eye is. And as soon as I began to learn how to switch over and, and shoot that way, my shooting was almost back to where it was in the beginning. I needed some correction. I needed some direction to get to the place where I was hitting the mark again. 
And that's what this scripture does for us, right? It, it corrects us. It puts us back on track. It allows us to, to see the, the bullseye that God wants us to aim for, the things that God intends for us to do. Well, the fourth thing that Paul talks about here to Timothy is training in righteousness. The word of God teaches us what it is to be righteous before him. The teaching, the rebuking, the correcting, they are all part of that training to become more like Jesus and less like the world. Psalm 119, which is massively long, but in the middle there, Psalm 119 and verse 105, there's a section which is about the word of God, and it starts off, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Remember that big storm we had just over a month ago? came sweeping through here. There was a microburst in it, and it brought down a lot of trees, which then consequently brought down a lot of wires. And uh, any of you blacked out in your house for a little while when that happened? A few of you. A few of you. So maybe you weren't... Yeah, Patty, you're close to my neighborhood, so you probably experienced some of the same thing. Well, in our house, we were blacked out for 11 hours. And, and so, you know, bedtime came, and he went to bed, and, and I got up at one point to, to go out of the room, and, you know, we're so used to having that ambient light, you know, the light coming in from street lights and things. We don't realize just how much light there is around us. And I got up, and it was pitch black. So I was walking towards the door of the bedroom, and I walked straight into the dresser. <laughs> got myself quite a bruise. I thought I knew where I was going, I thought I was pointed in the right direction. I thought I was going for the door, but I wasn't. Of course, I hadn't put on my flashlight. I hadn't put any light on the scene. Well, again, that's what Scripture does for us, right? It, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light on my path. We can see the way because of the word of God. I needed to have a little more light to see what I was doing and where I was going. You know, righteousness is not something that we produce on our own. There is no one righteous, not even one. It takes the light of Jesus to come and reside in us when we receive him as Lord and Savior, and it takes the reading of his word to guide us. Otherwise, we're just walking around in the dark. We think we know where we're going, but we're walking into obstacles to eternity. We need the light of Christ and of his word to get us on that path and keep us on that path. And you know, we need to start studying now for what's ahead. The Olympics are on right now and Look at the athletes and the training that they've gone through to get to this moment. You know, it's a little weird with no crowds. It's a little weird with people not being present and in that way. But, but it's good that the athletes got to perform because of all the time they spent getting ready for it. Well, you know, we get ready ahead of time for all the things that are going to happen in life by reading 
and studying and understanding the word of God. You know, a, a pilot doesn't learn to fly the plane when she gets into an emergency. She learns how to fly the plane and how to react to emergencies before she ever leaves the ground. The Bible teaches us about handling life and what to do when we encounter malfunctions like broken relationships and pain and illness, persecution, even death. But we need to hide the word of God in our hearts as we were taught as little kids. We need to hide the word of God in our hearts before we encounter these things in order to receive the full comfort of God. A lot of us, when we get into a hard place, we go scrambling for the Bible. But it's so much fuller, so much richer, so much more comforting when we already have the word of God here in our heart. And when we pick up the scriptures, we're refreshing what we already know. Isn't that right? The Bible teaches us how to walk right and how to love our neighbors and how to make a huge difference in this world. And all of this is so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. With the right equipment, we can do the job. God has called us to do a job in this broken world. And with the right equipment, we can do it. One of the exciting things I read in the survey this year from the Bible survey was that there has been a huge change in Bible reading. This year, more than 181 million Americans opened the Bible. That's up by 7%. That's, that's a pretty significant increase. But sadly, few of us engage with God's Word on a regular basis. What happens when we fail to read and study the Bible? It's part of following Jesus. What happens when we don't do it? The research that they did suggests that we fail to make it central to our lives for living and for decision-making when we aren't reading it. That means we fail to look like Jesus. And that means we begin to look more like the world. When we do that, we lose our impact. You know, 54% of the population says the Bible contains everything a person needs to live a meaningful life. That view has fallen in one year from 68 to 54%. 14% drop. We have replaced the word of God with the word of the world. The really big change that is an exciting change that showed up in this study is among those who say they've never read the Bible, that they don't, they're disengaged. That was 40% or 47% of the population in 2019. It was 46% in 2020. This year, the number of Bible disengaged people has dropped to 39%. That means 7% more of the population is picking up the Bible maybe for the very first time. The report says it's clear that hearts are being softened to the Bible. And the State of the Bible survey highlighted a couple of things. And first, of course, in the midst of this tumultuous world that we've been going through, uh, 
people who were once Bible disengaged are now reaching for their Bibles, and many of them for the first time. The second thing that it says in more detail about those people, it says these new Bible explorers often find the Bible difficult to navigate and understand. As they look for connection with God, comfort for their hearts, and answers to their questions, they will also need relational guides to help them. Guess what? That's you. This is a new mission field. But you can't share what you don't know. You can't mentor other people in life application of the scriptures if you aren't applying them to your own life. A major survey done in the 80s asked the question, are you a committed Christian? And, and if they said yes, they were asked, how often do you go to church? The average number at that time was twice a week. Well, George Barna went back and asked those same questions a couple of years ago. You know what the answer was, how often people went to church now? Twice a month. That was the average, twice a month. That says something about our commitment to God. That says something about our following God. That says something about living his word out in our lives. Do you take your Bible seriously? Do you read it? Do you apply it to your life? Do you choose the Bible as your authority when you decide what to believe and who to trust and how to live? The Bible suggests we should. We should. If we're going to follow Jesus, we should. Let's pray. Father God, forgive us for neglecting your word. You so clearly want to speak to us through it, and we aren't often listening. Renew our hunger for you and for learning about you. Renew our drive to live for you in more concrete ways. Lord, I open my heart to the leadership of your Holy Spirit in my life, especially in regard to your word. Teach me. I want to know you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.